This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Boston Loose Baseball Episode 5. We are back. The Nats are also back home after a win to avoid a sweep at the hands of the Brewers. Seven games at Nationals Park. The Dodgers in town for three. Rockies on the other end for four. And Trey Turner coming back to the nation's capital. We're going to be discussing the Turner-Scherzer deal that netted Josiah Gray and Kbert Ruiz. We will also talk about moving Juan Soto down in the order. And you'll hear an interview we did on our daily show in D.C. with Barry Sfriluga on the state of the Nats. He went hard in the paint. All coming up on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Danny, how are you? Very well, my friend. like to see the Nats a little salvage piece a couple times on their road trip there, avoiding the sweepies. But uh, how about a, a little Nats history here? Two RBI bunt base hits in a row. Whatever it takes, man. You know, when when the regular things aren't working, when you're not playing the big home run fly ball machine like everyone else, you got to scratch and claw and find a way. That was fun to see. Yeah, my general philosophy is if you're not a pitcher, I don't want you bunting. <laughs> I don't give up outs, but whatever. I mean, nothing really matters. They're 14 and 28, so if you can do something that works, do it. If you're D. Strange Gordon, you should be bunting, you know, twice a homestand uh, at, at this stage, right? Those are, those are hits, especially guys that that are uh, you know subjected to, to shifts at this point. Laying one down is not the worst thing you can do. But I'm I'm with you on the sacrifice bunt. It literally says sacrifice in the title. Gets give up. That's quitting. Bunting is quitting. The Nationals went into Sunday's win with their third worst record in franchise history, and that's accounting for their time as the Expos as well. Uh, they are, as I mentioned, 14-28. and 28. Only the Reds have a worse record in Major League Baseball. You line up every team in the sport from the Yankees, 29-12, and 12, and the Dodgers, best in the NL, 27-13. and 13. Down to the bottom, the Nats, second to last ahead of the Reds. Same number of losses, but the Reds have played two fewer games. They have two fewer wins. Look, we thought this was going to be rough. We kind of knew what we were getting into. I think we all went into this eyes wide open. The rebuild was on. It has gotten worse quickly than we anticipated. Specifically, the bad defense is is just tough to stomach. You know, the amount of circus plays that are happening, terrible base running blunders and gaffes. You can be bad and run the bases well. You can be bad and play pretty good defense. Like the stuff that you control, I need you to control better than they have. You don't have as much talent. You're not built as well as some other teams. I understand losing a lot of baseball games. There's no crime in that. 
But you got to play a cleaner brand of baseball and losers of seven of their ten. It just hadn't happened. So, Jeeps, I actually was wrong. I, I think I probably overshot a little bit when it came to this season. I didn't think they were competing. I didn't think they were going to be a playoff team. Or I, I kind of said, well, if you squint a little bit, you could see a group that could muscle together high 70s, maybe like an 80th win if they, you know, a couple things break in a, in a great way. That included Carter Keyboom in that plan, by the way. That included, you know, a blossoming of some of their young pieces. I thought they'd play 450 baseball. They're not. They're playing 333 baseball. They're down, as you said, kind of where the Reds are. And and the reasons why are what you just laid out. So that actually gets me to to want to bring something up, which I think is 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 interesting when it comes to the future of this organization. So much is being made right now about Juan Soto. There's a there's a think piece every day from some, you know, t- somebody that covers whatever team. Could we be in the market for Juan Soto via trade, et cetera? So much attention nationally, even locally too, is being paid to that. There's so much attention being paid to the learner's potential sale, right? That's a huge thing. And under the radar thing that should get a lot of attention, last year's for Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez. And the reason why I think those are connected is this sort of weird base running, Victor Robles, oh my God, what are we doing? I can't hit a cutoff man. Or, you know, base running gaffes or getting picked off down on a number of runs. The unclean baseball that's taking place underneath Davey Martinez's watch some people will tell you that's connected. Some people tell you that it's not. Some people tell you that you know it's it, it just you know it's it's players only. Davey Martinez isn't punting any balls into the stands or airmailing pickoff throws or, or whatever. And others will tell you no, that's what the manager emphasizes. That's what the focus is. We've had a couple times now at a spring training where this group has been really sloppy to start the season for the first couple of months, even when they were potential first division ball club under Davey Martinez. Twenty nineteen happened. Right, That's a major deposit in anybody's bank, especially Davey. He's a guy that you and I both like immensely, just personally. Uh, is an outstanding dude, and he was the right guy to kind of uh, govern this ship and, and stayed steady as this team experienced some ups and downs at various points. But there is a legitimate question, I suppose, to his future here in Washington. Yeah, so let's go one at a time between Rizzo and Davey then as far as their futures go. Both of them have options, it's been reported, for next year that can be picked up. And I actually think the most likely thing is, and it's not just in the case of Rizzo or Davey, but also Soto, the status quo probably is more likely than anything else while you're under a sale. And it seems like the learners are trying to sell the team. And if that's the case, then you're not going to re-up with Mike Rizzo for an extended period of time, probably. You're not going to certainly bring in a new GM and team president to start a new contract as the owner a year before you sell or or in the process of a sale so that someone's inheriting this team president on a three- or four-year contract. That doesn't make any sense. Same with field manager, in this case, Davey. You're not going to extend him, I wouldn't think, for three or four years if you are about to sell the team because why does someone buying a team want to be dictated to on who's running said team? And I also think it makes no sense, flip side of that, to – not pick up his option, perhaps, and bring someone in because you think guys are taking one-year deals? Ask Bud Black how that goes when you make that offer. (laughs) They don't want that. And so it's going to be two, it's going to be three, four years, whatever it is, for a new manager. Doing that right before you sell doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think the most likely thing is that they probably just pick up the options on both of those guys unless something happens fast here. Unless you already have someone that's separating itself that you know is going to buy the team and they can help pull some strings before they take over, kind of dictate to the learners what they want. That's the only way I could really see major decisions made in that area. But if we're just evaluating how these guys have done, I mean, look, Davey, if you take out the magical run in 19 
And I know that's a big if because it doesn't happen without him. His constant positivity, the, the way he ran that clubhouse. I wrote a story about this for, in The Athletic years ago, if you want to go look it up from 2019. like He was the reason, I think, that that renaissance was even possible, and all the players will say that. But if you take that stretch out of the equation, he takes over a good 17 team that was in the playoffs with Dusty, and they basically go 518 and miss the playoffs mm-hmm. in his first year. Then in 19, they got off to the awful start. They go on the magical carpet ride. In 20, the pandemic year, they were bad with a pretty good roster, sub-500. In 2021, last year, they sold off and obviously lost almost 100 games. And this year, rock bottom, hopefully, they're playing 333 baseball. So you're talking about someone who does have the World Series title, luckily, but is 30 games under 500 essentially, as we talk now in five years. So I don't think it is unfair to ask what they'll do in the future should they bring Davey back. I love the guy personally. I think by and large, he's done some really good things. But they don't play like they're coached well all the time. Mm. That's just hard to argue. And I am a believer in players play the thing that you alluded to. Uh Like, this is not Davey's fault that all this happens, but at some point you can't get rid of 25 players, as Ryan Zimmerman once said to us years ago. So I I am keeping Davey for next year. I'm keeping Rizzo for next year. I'm I'm letting the new owners make any decisions they have to. It's the reason why, and we'll get into this, Juan Soto, in my opinion, isn't being traded anytime in the near future. But these conversations are not unfair. Like, it's not ridiculous to talk about. I I think that's well put. So there's this... And a reasonable minds can disagree about this. But the case of Victor Robles, to me, is the sort of definitive where you stand on this kind of quandary for Major League Baseball. A well-thought-of, well-regarded, a highly-touted prospect. Not only has he not gotten any better, he's probably worse than he was a handful of years ago. Well, what are the factors? How much is Victor Robles just wasn't it? How much is... Coaching, environment, surroundings, he's still not hitting the cutoff man. He's still making base running gaps. He's still doing things that little league kids would get benched for. High school kids have to go sit down. Finable stuff. Like It's unbelievable that a dude that's no longer 19, this isn't a 20-year-old, this isn't some kid who's you know making earnest mistakes. This is a, now a five-year big leaguer who's making these kinds of unbelievable, unacceptable night-in, night-out errors to the point that he's not really even playing consistently anymore. Where's the development? How much do you blame him just because, hey, sometimes prospects miss? How much do you say, hey, this is a coaching thing? And I think a reasonable person can disagree. I, I, I never think it's cut and dry, but those are the kinds of questions that I think it's fair to ask. To your point, I think you made it very well about that 19 run, the time and place, context matters. If you had a guy that threw temper tantrums, if you Hal McCray, somebody that's going to you know flip the table and throw the Gatorade and the water cooler, you know the the time that you blew another eighth inning lead, which they did a million times in that first fifty games, they wouldn't have turned it around. It wouldn't have worked. He was the right dude for that place and time. Is he the right guy for the next place and time? As you're trying to develop young talent to get back to the point where you can win mid nineties games. I don't know the answer to that. Well, and I'll go one step further because it's not just like we're making the case that he was Mr. Nice Guy in the clubhouse and by constantly being positive and saying, the bo- I like our boys. I like our guys. We're going to hit tomorrow. Don't worry. We're mm-hmm. going to hit tomorrow. Don't worry. That worked. But there was more to it than that. Of course. I mean, from a managerial standpoint in the postseason, he put on a clinic. Like he did all of the things, and hopefully everyone's able to handle this for a second, that like Dusty doesn't do in the playoffs and can't do in the playoffs. When you're ending games because Wilmer Defoe's at the plate, 
because you've double switched everyone out of the lineup and, and because you're not managing live or die this game necessarily. When the opposing dugout gives a standing ovation to a pitching change. Right. <laughs> which know, happened. Which happened. When the Nats were playing, by the way. In Chicago. Uh, in Chicago against the Cubs. And, and you go to, by the way, you, you just made all these trades and you have Brandon Kinsler and these guys now who yep. can be your relievers. And you go to Sammy Solis. And they're fist pumping and they're jubilant in that dugout. <laughs> where, where is Sammy Solis? But Davey knew how to manage yep. in the sense of, like, I'm going to use Max Scherzer out of the bullpen. I'm going to use Steven Strasburg out of the bullpen. Not in Elimination Game 5, which Dusty did one time, but throughout the postseason. I'm going to use Patrick Corbin out of the pen. We are winning today, and it's going to set us up in this series. And So I really do think he was mostly masterful that postseason. They got a lot out of the couple times he had tirades, whether it was in the World Series Game or six. before that. Um, and I just think he did a really good job, and I give him all the credit in the world for that. And he's one of the biggest reasons why they have a ring, just like Rizzo is. But... If you're just looking at the bulk of his time here, the majority has not been that necessarily. I think he's a good manager. And and I'll say this. If he's available in a year or or whatever, someone should bring him in who's got a contending team. I really believe that. But to your point, the question is, is he the the coach? Is he the instructor? Is he the guy you're going to wear it with and rebuild with? I don't know. I'm, I'm not positive. They have not done a great job with young big leaguers having success quickly at the major league level. See Carter Keebum, who, by the way, out for the year, is having Tommy John surgery, which is disappointing. And, you know, that road back is going to be long and arduous and difficult. Now, Rizzo's fascinating to me, too. I believe Rizzo's one of the better executives in baseball. I, I think his track record speaks for itself. You know, you look at the win counts in the regular season over the last few years. Uh, well, the last decade, rather, right there at the top, you look at his history of trades. I mean, just incredible. Every every one of these deals, it's been a home run, whether it's Matt Capps for Wilson Ramos or getting Doug Fister for Steve Lombardozzi or the, the greatest trade in team history, one of the greatest trades ever, Trey Turner and Joe Ross for Steven Susan, a three-team deal. Uh, and I could rattle off a bunch of others. I'm not sure anyone's got a better track record on trades than he does. Uh, he has largely hit in free agency as well. They've done a really good job. When they drop money on Max, that's one of the great free agent signings ever. When they bring in some of these random veterans, you go, this is not going to work. This is a terrible idea. And those guys end up playing over their skis and having a lot of success because of their culture. Like, all those things are good. But there are major questions about player development and the farm system. And when was the last time they drafted, developed, and graduated an arm that was really good at the major league level? Strasburg and Jordan Zimmerman? I mean, who since has kind of been a slam dunk? Now, Ross has been okay. He was drafted somewhere else and started his development elsewhere. I wouldn't call Fetty a win, but he's at least a major league pitcher, I suppose, right mm-hmm. now. Maybe Yoan Adone's the next. We're hoping for Cavalli and Cole Henry. But you tell me, when's the last time they drafted, developed, graduated a really, really good pitcher? Strasburg is is the answer. And, Who and, my mom would have drafted 1-1. Right, and, and that's kind of what's what's alarming here. So everybody's got the strengths and weaknesses, right? I, I am 100% with you that some of that's been bad luck. Some of that's been a guy that the world thinks is going to be outstanding that all of a sudden Lucas Giolito gets to the majors and is throwing 88. And everyone's like, what the hell happened? Now he's in Chicago pitching And I guess great. we should give them credit because like Giolito could be doing what he's doing in Chicago here, but you flipped him for Eaton who helped you win a World Series. Right. I, I mean, Zach Eflin, is it? Or Nick Pavetta is the Pavetta. guy from the Phillies who... Now with Boston has been a pretty good major leaguer drafted. Hey, Jesus Luzardo. Here. I mean, there are names where they've they've gotten guys right, but I guess to your point, the way the Dodgers have stayed there is somehow drafting at the end of the first round. They've still found the next dude that rolls in and replenishes their staff. It's supplements. They still go out and major 
and finding Mookie Betts or getting Trey Turner from a willing uh, seller, but they're supplementing that organization and their team with some of their own internal stars. That's how you stay on top. St. Louis has made, uh, you know, just been consistently really good doing that for so many years. That's kind of a, a weakness right now relative to the rest of the strengths that is Mike Rizzo's organization when it comes to the Nationals. And again, that's not a criticism. That's just kind of, hey, you've been so good in every other area. If I'm a rival GM and Mike Rizzo calls, I'm not taking the call. I'm going to get fleeced. I'm going to lose. He's a mastermind at that. If he's in your fantasy league, hang up the damn phone. Seriously, he's been unbelievable in that regard. The occasional miss notwithstanding, people are probably sitting in their cars going, Jonathan Papelbon. Yep, swing and a miss. There have been a couple. but I it, think it's, it's amazing, though, that people have – mostly I think people understand how good he's been. But there is this – faction of the fan base uh-huh. that thinks he's like overrated or doesn't get oh, the no, love no, for no, Rizzo. No, 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 no. And I don't understand it because the first thing I would say is again, you're talking about a decade of being one of the top five teams in the sport. I'm sorry that you only won the one title. It's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be the last team standing. A lot of things have to fall in your favor. His job is to build a 90-plus win team and hand it to a manager. And for the better part of a decade, he did that. The other thing is when Rizzo leaves, his guys leave with him. You're Johnny DePuglias, who found Juan Soto, who found uh, a bunch of their really good young talent. Now, Luis Garcia or Victor Robles or so many others along the way. Like, that guy's gone from the organization. There are a lot of smart, good people here that are Rizzo lifers, so to speak, that are, that would roll out with him. So it, it doesn't—I've just never understood the lack of credit. Like, people expect a 1,000 batting average. They're like, well, what about this? What about this? The GM job, you're looking for like a 600 batting average. Cute that you can find the times it didn't work. You're chasing a ghost. This is not perfect. It's like watching a quarterback's film and saying he missed this throw, left these yards on the field, should have had a touchdown here. Well, no crap. It's not a perfect job. It's not a batting average 1,000 gig. Neither is being a GM. And so, But the other part of Rizzo that I think we, and who knows how much this is ownership, but I generally give Rizzo credit, where they've let guys walk. And I know this is a touchy top a topic because we're de- we're gonna you know obviously we've talked about Soto ad nauseum, but whether it was Harper or Turner or Rendon or Jordan Zimmerman or Ian Desmond, when or, or Daniel Murphy I think is my is my greatest case. Daniel Murphy for three years here was a monster, you know low three hundreds batting average three fifteen to three fifty I think one of those years hitting around thirty home runs, you could you know hide him enough defensively he was an unbelievable piece, and so there there was. A little bit of a pulse of like, hey, is it worth kind of keeping this dude around because he's all he's done is mash since he's been here? Never even considered. Didn't even offer him anything, and he's basically off a cliff. You know, twenty four hours later, that kind of stuff. That's his scouting background. The numbers guys will tell you one thing: the fact that his eyeballs have have you know. With that Hardy's cup in the console, he's driven the 600 miles to see the skinny 16-year-old Hardy's with a little bit of arm side run. Why you not a Burger done? King cup? Because it's 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 more obscure on the road. Why not a McDonald's cup? Well, he's done it all, is what I'm telling you. He, oh. he put in that mileage as a scout. So he's he's What about seen a Shoney's it. cup? Do Shoney's have kind of to-go uh, cups? You know what? I just realized I've never been to a Shoney's. I don't know what it is. Well, it's like... Um, I don't know how to Long describe it. Long John Silver. It, Long John Silver. Yeah, it's Shoney's is kind of like that Denny's... Sit oh, it's down. A sit it's down. a casual sit down. Yeah, oh, I thought it was a fast food joint. Mm-mm. You can do it fast because their service is outstanding at Shoney's. So it's like a it's it's a, it's basically like an IHOP. Yeah. Oh, I need to go to Shoney's. You'd like a Shoney's, Darius? Have you ever been to Shoney's? Yeah, the Shoney's in Tappahannock. I mean, how, how have you never been to the Shoney's in Tappahannock? Guy, I sleep. I've never been to any Shoney's anywhere. Unbelievable. It, so it's a Bob Evans. Yes. They they also do buffet buffet style 
as well, if I remember correctly. Shoney's does the Buffett? Yeah, they do the Buffett. Jimmy? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been to a Bob Evans until like a year and a half ago. So that that's just a hole in my game. Mm-hmm. Like Bob I, Evans' breakfast is outstanding, by the way. Oh, it's so good. Just FYI, you would love it. My power rankings would be Cracker Barrel 1. Of course. Um, Waffle House 2. Of course. Because I'm a French toast guy, and they've got money French toast. Really good French toast. I'm going to go Bob Evans 3. And then maybe Denny's IHOP in that order. But you're, you're going to say I'm besmirching IHOP, and I would tell you I love IHOP almost more than anything. I just love breakfast food in that way. Yeah. I, I, dude, I, I'm smelling what you're cooking. The the Cracker Barrel situation, congratulations, you've walked in. Here are your biscuits. Yep. You can't top it. That's a, Thanks for being here. Some biscuits. It's a great way to live. And you, you remember we went to Cracker Barrel at, at Nat Spring Training. Yeah, we were in West Palm Beach at Cracker Barrel right by the facility there. And I'm not trying to be braggadocious about the display I put on because I'm in a Cracker Barrel and I, I you know— I, I get nuts. I'm obese, and, and yeah. I love to eat. What you did that day was disgusting. Yeah. Like, I would never... One time, Ryan Zimmerman looked at you and said you were disgusting based on something you'd eaten. Yeah. For me, personally, I would never do that to you, because I, I, I admire what you're able to do. That day, you disgusted me. Now, the underrated part of that, and I agree with everything you're saying, by the way, including the Ryan Zimmerman story, which we should we should tell. I don't know if we've... Have we ever told that on air, that it was Zim? Uh, I think we always just say a Nats player. Yeah, but now, because now we're revealing it. there's an F-bomb it. involved. Yeah. And, yeah. So we'll tell that on this podcast. But the thing about Cracker Barrel, I know we're down a Cracker Barrel rabbit hole here, but do you remember how impatient I was about the biscuits? The free ones that they just Yeah, sit, yeah you just wanted them when you I'm sat I'm sitting down. there tapping my toe, and so like, can I get you something to drink? And I was like, biscuits. And uh, I'd like a coffee and the biscuits whenever, if you have a second to run by the area where the biscuits are. I can't, I can't wait. Tell the Zim story real fast, and then we got to get back to Rizzo. We were, so was it, the vac- was it vacation or New Orleans? I think uh, it was vacation. It was New Orleans. No, no, it was New Orleans. It was New Orleans? Or was it my vacation it was, where I gained the most? Oh, no, no, no. You know what it was? It was your two-week vacation when you gained 27 and a half Yeah, two-week vacation. So we play a game on our on the Great Nanny Show uh, called How Much Weight Did Danny Gano Vacation, where I don't worry about eat, I don't worry about what I eat. I just enjoy myself and deal with disdain from my wife and, and family members and whatever. But I enjoy my meals, right? So I kind of went nuts on this one trip. I, it wasn't even like I didn't think about it. It was like I purposely sought out the most delicious possible thing, which was terrible for me. And I gained 26 pounds in two weeks. Ryan Zimmerman heard that segment because he was listening on the way to the ballpark. A few weeks later, we interviewed Zim and a bunch of other guys at the Nats Youth Academy. Right. They, they were on site uh, for an event with all the kids, which was great. We broadcasted live. So one at a time, Anthony Rendon and a bunch of guys, Juan Soto that day, came in, talked to us. And Zim was the last guy we talked to. Okay. So, Darius, you're going to have to bleep out a curse word here because I'm going to tell the real story. Okay. So mark this time. Interview's over. We're in this little kind of room, side, kind of an anteroom, just sort of doing the thing. So guys, when it's their turn to, to face the music, to come talk to us, come in, sit down, etc. Zim has finished his interview. He's getting up. He's walking away. The door is half open. He stops and turns around and goes, did you really gain 26 pounds in two weeks on vacation? I said, yes. He said, that's disgusting. And, <laughs> and but, didn't let me respond and close the door. But the way he looked at you. Yeah. Was like a, a dad yep. who's disappointed. Not angry, just sad. A, the idea that someone could do that to themselves. Someone would do that to themselves. As you said, he wasn't angry. He was in disappointed disbelief. That's the story. All right, back to Rizzo. You cool with that? Yeah, let's go back to Rizzo. So real fast, I just wanted to say to, to kind of close the book on, on this convo. You mentioned some of the things they haven't done. When you go back through the years of who we wanted re-upped and who, who not, whatever, people wanted $100 million for Ian Desmond. They didn't do it. Right. Turned out to be the right decision. Mm-hmm. People wanted $100 million for Jordan Zimmerman. They didn't do right it. Right decision. Turned out to be the right decision. 
If you go more recently with the stars, people wanted to pay Bryce. They didn't. They spent some of that on Corbin. He was huge. They win the World Series the following season. Bryce becomes your right fielder. Excuse me. uh, Soto becomes your right fielder to replace Bryce. Everyone wanted to keep Rendon and pay him. Since he went to the Angels, it's been bad for them. Like They're down on him, and he's not hitting, and and it's really been a a tough couple of years. Part of the reason they didn't pay him is because he had problems staying healthy. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Since he got there, he's had a lot of problems staying healthy. Now, I'm not saying that if those guys stayed here, it wouldn't have been different because you're changing lifestyle. You're moving your family. You're going to a different market. You know, you, you have these fluke injuries that happen that may not have happened here. Maybe they stay and they hit and they, they're really, really good. Who knows? But it's hard to argue with the results of a lot of what they've done. Now, I can make the case that they should have kept Rendon still over, say, Strasburg. They chose him over Stras. Uh, excuse, excuse me. It seems like they, they chose Stras over him. Same contract. Mm-hmm. 7 and. I would still say as bad as Rendon has been for the Angels, they're getting more out of him than the Nats are getting out of Strasburg. He's played baseball games, yeah. Hopefully the rehab in Fredericksburg goes well on Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. And he's back in the big league soon and can throw well. But the track record's pretty good on what they haven't done and how it's worked out on the back end, which I just think should be brought up. All right, some more timely things really quickly about the Nationals in the moment. Uh, Trey Turner's back in town with the Dodgers. Speaking of deals, let's just real quick give a thought on this. We did this in detail in our Grant and Danny show, but I want to give our podcast listeners a quick take. Hindsight has now become wisdom. We've got the benefit of looking back now. Trey Turner and Max Scherzer out to L.A., K. Barrett Ruiz and Josiah Gray as the centerpieces of a deal coming back to Washington. I would say, based on the assessment that Trey Turner is leaving at the end of the year as a free agent if he's in Washington anyway. If you trade him now, which is what they'd do, they would trade him at this deadline, by himself, you're getting nothing like that back. That still, to me, looks like a massive win. Nats fans will disagree probably because Scherzer uh, is a horse for the Mets when he's healthy. He's going to miss about two months. And Turner is Trey Turner. Yep. And you're now in last place, and you're one of the worst teams in baseball. But, again, Max was leaving. Sorry about it. It was happening. Trey, after this season, was leaving. If you want to be mad, be mad they didn't sign him sooner. They should have gotten a deal done with him. He wasn't a Boris guy. I'll never, ever forget that they didn't. To me, that was a mistake. It should have been two or three years earlier. Because trading him now at his age, excuse me, signing him now at his age wouldn't have made a lot of sense. But they would have been trading him this deadline by himself, would have got nothing like what they got back. It looks to me like Josiah Gray, number two type starter, number three starter, Kbert Ruiz, number one in F4 among catchers right now in the league. You can't tell me that deal doesn't look good for them right now. Given the context, you're right. So the the one point that I would add is when we review this again in a couple of years, and presumably for the sake of argument, Soto's gone too, it's going to sting a little bit more. Where So you end up with none of those guys, none of the core young guys from that World Series team are here. Unforgivable. And, and that's and that's what's going to hurt the most. But if we, if we agree to the following stipulations— one, Trey Turner was not going to be here beyond this year. But if, but can I just say really quick and tag you in, I'm going to let you finish, but because someone is in their car saying what I'm about to say. You guys are not acknowledging that they should have signed Trey Turner earlier. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I, I, I beat the drum. If there was a drum, metaphorically, I was smacking it. Not, not in the year that they decided, well, we're not going to be able to do this. Two years before that. Yeah, like 2019. Buy 2018. Out, buy out his arbitration years. Give him a short-term raise. Show him that cash in hand is better than this long-term. Yada, yada. Try. And if the answer is no, I'm going to free agency. Okay. Give him that massive Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, yes. um, Marcus Simeon, like that type of deal a couple years earlier. 
you can say if you're Rizzo and you're listening or whatever, you could be like, these guys are idiots. It takes two to tango. He is not repped by Boris. Like th- There is no reason, in my opinion, why they couldn't have started sooner, paid more up front, and gotten a discount on the back end. But they didn't do it. So we, last year, were sitting in a boat, Danny, where you have Max likely to leave at the end of the year, yep. Trey likely to leave at the end of next year, starting to get older to start paying that six, seven-year contract. Right. It was my point with Anthony Rendon. By the time you got to 2019, it was already too late. It should have been 2017 for Rendon. It should have been 2018, 2019 for Trey Turner, that kind of thing. If you want to do it. If you if you don't want to hold the bag at the end when a guy that's who, whose game is so much dependent on speed is 33 years old playing shortstop every day because you think he might break down, that's not the craziest thing in the world. But if we agree to that stipulation that he was not going to be here, they did really well. They did really well. Gray, I like a lot. I, I think he. I, I, I've hammered this point on on Grant and Dan, and I hammered this point on, on this podcast as well. I think he's a change up away from being a really, really elite top of the rotation National League arm. I, I think he'll be able to do some incredible things if he finds a consistent change up, which he hasn't yet. He's still getting outs on that breaking ball, both of them, the, the curveball and the slider at different times. Different batters kind of depends on feel. He's got Jordan Zimmerman stuff right now. You know, I mean, the way that fastball rides and the, the curveball and slider is good. He is a solid middle of the rotation pitcher now. I think he can grow even more. Ruiz is really impressive to me. Really impressive. If you guys played at, at, at a high level or have seen enough, the way he moves as a catcher, his, his hands, his receiving ability, he's got that, you know, uh, the quickness back there, but he's not jumpy. It's hard to describe, but you know it when you see it. The guys that are under control. He's fluid. He's loose. He's strong. His catch and throw is there. He's stealing strikes here and there. He's, you know, I'm sure he's growing as a guy that's calling the game and learning the league, et cetera. And offensively, the power isn't there yet. Emphasis on yet. That's coming. His bat-to-ball skills are elite. He is going to be a stud. A, I mean, he's already good right now, GP, as you said, leading catchers in F4. I, I, this is this is a perennial all-star, in my opinion. I think he's going to be special. About two weeks ago, maybe less, he was hitting 265. Mm-hmm. And I texted with one of the Nats people, and I'm like, hey, he's having good at bats. Am I wrong? And they said, look, we, we got him projected right now. And they may have their own number, but he should be hitting about 300. I said, really? They said, he's going to be fine. And I looked it up that day. His expected batting average on baseball savant was like 307. There you go. He's now up to 288. He's, mm-hmm. he's gained 20 points since then. If you look at how, I mean, you shouldn't throw this guy fastballs. He's hitting, uh, he's got an expected batting average of 428 off fastballs, 558 slug. Breaking stuff has been way more difficult for him. Yeah. 207 expected average with a two, uh, 310 slug against breaking stuff. You know, off speed in general, really, really struggle with changeups. 162 batting average expected. So that's kind of the next phase of the development. He's pretty much a Deadpool hitter this year, particularly with any of his power. But uh, how can you not be impressed? He's 23. He's learning an organization in arms, and he's working with young pitchers, and he's been one of the league leaders in throwing guys out, and he's trying to hone his defensive skills. Uh, and he's, he's doing a lot of things well, uh, and I'm, I'm excited. He he's also, really impressive. The ball is always in play. Yep. His K percentage is 95th percentile. He doesn't walk a whole lot, but like back-to-ball skills are there. Um, his whiff percentage is 90th. He makes a lot of contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just I love what I've seen. So to have your backstop, this, this was the goal. That night, I remember doing a lot of talking about this trade on different platforms, and I said, if Kbert Ruiz becomes your long-term answer at catcher, and you basically get six or seven years of control out of him, and Josiah Gray becomes a number two starter for you, or a number three starter for you, and you're getting, again, six or seven years, like 12-plus years of control of these two guys for 
the Scherzer rental when you're bad the rest of the year anyway, and one and a half years of Trey Turner. You just can't convince me that that's not worthwhile. And there are other players that may or may not make the big leagues and help that came over as this package um, unfolds in the years ahead from the minors too. But I really viewed it as kind of like those two prospects. Yeah. Now, let me say real quick before I and, – and again, I'm going to let you finish. If you're asking me would I rather have Trey Turner on a long-term deal or those two guys, I'd rather have Trey Turner. But we're operating from the spot of he wasn't going to stay. Beyond, the, the, the countdown was on. Right from the from the moment they said, you know what, we're not particularly good this year. We're underachieving. We're in sell mode. The instant that switch was flipped, if you said there's a countdown for how long we get Trey Turner, they did really really well for themselves. Yeah, and I think sometimes the the thought is whether it's fans or media or whatever, this unrealistic argument of well, you need to sign Trey Turner. You should have re-signed him. We are working from the point of that was not on the table at that moment and maybe wouldn't have made the most sense based on the years and the money at his age anyway. Mm-hmm. So now what? So, yes, you can't forget that they screwed it up earlier on probably, but it is what it is as of last year, and it looks like the return has been pretty good. Now, if, if Josiah Gray is this, which is like a mid-threes, high-threes ERA guy, never really develops the changeup, you know, he's probably more of maybe a three-and-a-half or a fourth starter doesn't look quite as good, right? If Kbert Ruiz never hits for a whole lot of power and he's like a 270 hitting catcher who's decent behind the plate, there's nothing wrong with that. But if he's not hitting home runs and he's not making all-star appearances, then the ceiling for this return is lower. I think you're seeing the beginning for Ruiz. I think you're seeing the beginning for Gray and that both of those guys will end up playing in all-star games. And if that's the case, you needed to get two really good players back and they did that. Uh, they changed the, the, the batting order up a little bit this week, end of the uh, weekend against the Brewers. Juan Soto moved from two to three. I love that Davey had him batting second. They used the argument that I've used for years, which is all the studies show you know, the most impact run scored from the two spot. Mm-hmm. They also said that they studied how often he was left on deck at the end of games the year before. They wanted to get him a chance to win more games in the ninth inning extra innings. And the other thing was just the number of plate appearances, which is basic math. You see Juan Soto 30 more times if he hits second or whatever over the course of the season. So all that makes sense to me. He should bat second. In the meantime, he's not hitting, moving guys around, well worth the the attempt. A lot will be made from a tweak in the order and they scored a bunch of runs. I don't really do that. I'm not a sample size of one game guy. But for what it's worth, you touch a button, it either results quickly in something or it doesn't. And they hit and they scored against the Brewers. Soto breaks out of a two for 20, one of his worst slumps of his career over six games. Kbert Ruiz moves up, hit a big double to score a run, uh, batting second for the first time. So give Davey some credit. The uh, tweak worked. Yeah, so big picture. I, I love Soto hitting second for a number of reasons, most of which you touched on. The biggest, though, to me is what's the skill set? There are some guys that are they're up there just to put bat to ball. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just kind of what they are. So the guy most likely to get a base hit in your lineup, kind of old school thinking, you'd probably put him third. Because if you've got runners on, the best way to get him home isn't a walk, it's a base hit. If you've got someone that's most likely to walk, most likely to get on base, you hit those guys towards the top of the order. Those are the table setters. Occasionally, you get that rare special angel. You get that perfect combination of on-base run creation, run production, and that's Juan Soto. That's the perfect second hitter. 
old school guys, second hitter was a guy who was up there to bunt, take two pitches, maybe try to hit a ground ball to the right side on a hit and run. The game has changed. We know too much now. So the best hitters in the sport, there's a chance at RBIs if your leadoff hitter can do his job, which we can quibble about Hernandez here in a second. But also, you're almost a 1A as a leadoff guy. Juan Soto getting on at the clip that he does, even when he's not hitting, he's still going to walk a ton. He'll still probably lead the league in bases on balls and be a guy that you have to pitch around, setting the table for the middle of the order. That's my ideal. I'd like to get back to that. But the most important thing for the manager is I don't really care, with all due respect, how to get Alcides Escobar going. I'm not that concerned getting Mikel Franco the most comfortable. My star, my number one dude, needs to be his best. How do I get the A version of Juan Soto? That may be a short-term lineup tweak. That may be uh, you know, surrounding him with different guys. It may be uh, you know, having a left-handed hitter hitting behind him. It may be having a, a different uh, switch hitter in front of him. Whatever your take is, that's fine. So ultimately, big picture, I would love Soto to hit second in this lineup and maybe a lot of others uh, it, you know, as, as this lineup kind of changes, as the personnel changes. But I like the tweak. I like the willingness not to say, hey, we're just going to keep throwing it at the wall and see what sticks. It's a, how do I get Juan Soto out of this? And I give David credit. Busting loose baseball. We had a great conversation with Barry Sverluga. Weren't planning on using it on the podcast, but it was insightful and it's kind of on theme here to what we're talking about. Big picture, the Nats, ownership, GM, managerial, field questions. Sverluga does a great job covering the team for the Post in town, a national columnist. Uh, Here he was on our DC show, Grant and Danny. Zoom. 